0: Hey, friends, welcome to the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry, planting, growing, and leading a church. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at Ministries.org. Well, in this episode of The Word for Everyday Disciples, Dave continues his teaching series on Joseph, a guy who literally went from the pit to the palace. And while eventually his story has a happy ending, he didn't get there for a long time. In fact, he spent 13 years in bondage. Gone was his privilege and freedom. Gone was his innocence and security. All that was lost. But one thing remained, and it's the one thing you can hold on to in your times of loss. Here's Dave.
1: Every now and then I come across a book that really marks me. Sometimes the book exposes a theological truth that I need to be freshly reminded of. Other times, the book reveals a spiritual growth area in my life that I need to address. But there are occasions when a book touches me, not because of the answers it gives, but because of the questions it asks. Hard questions. Questions that you face and questions that I face. One of those books is by a guy named Gerald Sitzer, and it's a book called A Grace Disguised. It is a singular best book on loss than any book I've ever read. Sitz is a theological professor, has multiple postgraduate degrees. But he writes this early on in the book. Sooner or later, all people suffer loss, in little doses or big ones, suddenly or over time, privately or in public settings. Loss is as much a part of life as birth. For as surely as we are born into this world, we suffer loss before we leave it. You will suffer loss simply because you're alive. You just will. It comes with life. Some of the loss is natural and expected. As you get older, you start losing your figure. You start losing your hair. You start losing your hearing. You start losing your sight. That's expected. I don't like it, but it's expected. Other expected loss is generational. The time comes when you lose your grandparents. The time comes when you lose your parents. Then the time comes that you start losing your peers. Even though those are difficult, they are at least expected. They seem to be in order, don't they? But what about those times when the loss is totally unexpected? An utterly devastating. A paralyzing accident with one of your kids. A debilitating disease. A shattering divorce. A horrible assault. A cruel betrayal. It's these kind of losses that threaten to undo us. Sitzer spends most of his book describing catastrophic loss, but he doesn't do so as an ivory-towered theologian. He does so as one who unbelievably experienced a loss that most of us, by God's grace, will never face. In the fall of 1991, a drunk driver slammed into his minivan, killing his mother, his wife, and his four-year-old daughter. In one freeze-framed moment, three generations of his family were wiped out. He writes his book out of that context. Here's some of his early words. In the hours following the accident, the initial shock gave way to unspeakable agony. I felt dizzy with grief's vertigo, nauseous from the pain. That initial deluge of loss slowly gave way over the next months, to the steady seepage of pain that comes when grief, like floodwaters refusing to subside, finds every crack and crevice of the human spirit to enter and erode. I thought I was going to lose my mind. Like I said, it's quite a book. And how he grapples and struggles and asks hard questions and doesn't give easy answers is why I say this is the single best book on loss I've ever read. But there are other books on loss. The Bible is a book on loss. Have you ever considered how many books in the Bible speak about losing that which is so valuable? The book of Job drips with stories of loss. Many of the Psalms speak about loss. Some of the Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. And the Psalms are saying, in effect, I'm not making it. My pillow was wet with my tears. How long can I go on? The book of Ecclesiastes is filled with loss. But the Bible, though, also has stories, case studies of individuals who face loss and not only survived, but ultimately thrived. They discover that God is not only bigger than any loss, but if you have eyes to see, he will be with you in any loss. Such is the story of Joseph at age 17. Age 17, age of some of you young people. At age 17, Joseph is sold into slavery by, believe it or not, his brothers. And he goes from one pit to another for the next 13 years of his life. He ultimately ends up in the land of Egypt, far from home. The favored son of Jacob in a moment. And it's in a place he's never been before. He's surrounded by people he's never met before. And he's facing a future he's never envisioned before. Joseph arrives in Egypt with nothing but the clothes on his back. He doesn't know a soul. He doesn't know the language. How could he hold on? How could he have any kind of hope? How do you keep from losing his mind for crying out loud? We're told how. Genesis chapter 39. In Genesis chapter 39, the writer wants us to understand something. And I think there are some of you in this room, this is why you were brought here, because I want you to understand it as well. Genesis 39, verses 1 to 4. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And he brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. That's the phrase to underline your thinking, if not your Bibles. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw, here it is again, lest you miss it the first time, that the Lord was with him. Underline it. The Lord gave him success in everything he did. And Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. The reason that Joseph survived had nothing to do with Joseph. It wasn't a matter of luck, it wasn't a matter of skill. It wasn't a matter of training. He survived because God was with him. It's all about God. Joseph succeeded because God was to him what a blanket is to a baby. He was all over him. He was all over him. Here's the question of the hour. Dare we expect that God will be no less all over you in your pit? When you go to Egypt, when you're in a land you've never been in before, So you can put yourself in the story. Some of you right now are in Egypt. You've never been there before. There are strangers around you in this land, and you're learning a new language. What language are you learning? The language of a single mom. The language of divorce. The language of physical abuse. The language of unemployment. The language of cancer. What language are you having to learn in Egypt? Everything has changed. Everything has changed, hasn't it? The phone call came in the night. The pink slip came across your desk. The knock came on the door. The x-ray came back. Everything changed. And now you're in Egypt. Who's left? God's left. God's left. Let me tell you something. You will never go where God is not you will never go where God is not. No pit is so deep that he's not already there, if you have eyes to see. No land is so far away, but that he can't be there as well. King David knew his share of pinnacles and pits, and he writes these words, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He goes on to list in this wonderful psalm some of the places where he'd found God. I found you in the heights. I found you in the depths. I found you in the light. I found you in the darkness. I found you everywhere. If Joseph would have written Psalm 139, he might have put it this way. Where can I go from your spirit? From the bottom of an empty cistern to an Ishmaelite caravan, from the horror of the slave block to the helplessness of servitude. I have found you to be there. Your rendition might read like this. Though I go to the dialysis unit or in for chemotherapy, you're with me. Though I go to the divorce court or the unemployment office, you are with me. Though I go to a hostile school cafeteria, a dreary job, or a bleak cemetery, you are with me. You are with me. You will never go where God is not. And yet, vast majority of people, the vast majority of Christ followers are oblivious to this. To their way of thinking, I am all alone. It's all up to me. I will only survive by my own wits, my own strength, my own money. And they miss the idea that if they have eyes to see, God is there. Listen, before you need another self-help book, before you need more medication before you need more counseling, you need a fresh awareness that your God is with you wherever you are, even in the pits. That's you gotta know. You gotta know. Um, Say, how can I be reminded of this? Well, let me give you three reasons. If you hope to know the presence of God in the midst of your pit, if you hope to know that God is with you, even in Egypt, first of all, you need to cling to the character of God. Most of us say, I don't study theology. You should. Listen, if you don't have a right theology in the light, you can't create it in the dark. You better know what you know about God in the light. Because when the darkness comes, the shadows will seem to have the last word. When everything in your life changes, what do you know in your knower never changes. I came up with a list. Here's what I have to know, because I can't handle losing more friends. I can't handle seeing more pain if I don't know this in my knower. God is still in total control. He's still all-powerful, and he's still all-loving. God knows my name, and I'm his beloved child. Angels still obey him, and demons still tremble at him. The hearts of rulers still bend at his bidding. The grave is only temporary housing and this body will be wondrously transformed. Separation is only for a moment while the reunion will be forever. His plans and his purposes are ever and always for his glory and for my good. You need to add that, friends. You need to create your own theology of God's presence so that when the pit comes, and it will, when loss happens, and it will, when you find yourself in Egypt, and you will, you better know. Listen, never doubt in the dark what you know in the light. Know in your knower your God.
0: Dave will be back in just a moment, but I wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I really hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review and then share this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedisselmministries.org and click on the Donate button. In addition to this podcast, Dave Deselm Ministries offers other resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as devotionals for everyday disciples. Each week, Dave delivers a new devotional filled with inspiration from God's Word that will encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus every day. Just go to Ministries.org and you can browse through the over 100 devotionals that are found there. You can also subscribe and then we'll send each new devotional right to your email inbox. Now let's return to Dave and discover another way we can maintain an awareness of God's presence. Here's the second one.
1: Pour out your pain in prayer. King David uh, was known as a man after God's own heart. I think that one of the reasons he was is because of his extraordinary candor and openness. David and God laughed together and cried together. They celebrated and they lamented. David wrote these words, Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. I love that phrase, pour out your hearts to him. God is a refuge. When you find yourself in over your head, You need to share your deepest feelings with the one who will get you through the pit. Pour out your heart. Are you confused why God would take the person you most love from your life? Pour out your heart to him about it. Are you disappointed that he's not yet given you that job, that child, that spouse? Pour out your heart to him. Are you ticked off at his lack of responsiveness to your heartfelt prayer for a child to come home or a friend to be healed? Pour out your heart to him. Pour out your heart. Let God know how you feel. He knows anyway. You know that, don't you? He already knows. So why does David say pour out your heart? Because David understood full well That the same God who he could say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is the same God to whom he could say, my pillow is wet with my tears. How long, O Lord, how long will I cry? Your sense of God's presence will be in proportion to the openness of your prayer. And as you pray heartfelt prayers of lament, so you can find him in the midst of those putting his hand on your shoulder saying, I know it hurts. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. One final thought. In order to know God's presence, you need to lean on God's people. You need to lean on God's people. During a tough time, people tend to want to get isolated. You don't want to be around anybody, do you? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Listen. Satan wants to take you away from God's people in tough times because he recognizes the power of Jesus' promise. Jesus said this, But where two or three have gathered together in my name, there am I with them. What, what happens? Somehow, way, well beyond mere companionship, there is a sense of God's presence when other believers are with you. They don't even have to say anything. They're just there. And to the extent that you run to God's people, not away from God's people. When tough times come, to that extent, you'll experience his presence. Your adversary wants to keep you in isolation because he knows the healing that comes in community. Oh, boy, I discovered this so, so powerfully about 18 months ago. I was going through a real hard time. I was in Egypt. I would buried one too many friends here at the church. I'd seen one too many divorces, or I'd heard one too many stories of abuse, and I thought, oh, dear God. And right about that time, I got a call from folks, and I, I get this a lot, and people come and people go, but it always hurts, and uh, we, we're not happy about fellowship, it's becoming too much of this, it's not enough of that, and I try to listen, but it's always hard. That night, I was over uh, to a, a family's house, and uh, they said some nice things, but then they basically got out the laundry list of all that I had failed and all that we'd failed, and I'd I'd had it, you know? One too many phone calls, one too many disappointments. As I drove on home, Gwen had known I'd gone out that night and drove home, and the porch light was on. My first response was, well, for crying out loud, now I'm paying extra electricity bill, because you won't set the... Walked in and there she was, and she kind of look on her face. And I said, "What? You want a piece of me too? Everybody else is taking a bite, you know." And I said to go out and shut off the porch light. She said, "No, no, no." She said, "Some people are coming over." My first thought was, "Oh great, here they come! Now they're coming to my house." I was not in a good. I'd, pretty soon the doorbell rings, and all I could think of was, "I, I don't want to see anybody." I was content to go back and have myself a little what? Pretty part. Opened the door, and there was my small group, my friends. And they had food and drink. And, so, what are you guys doing here? They said, we wanted to come and be with you. I said, we thought you could use some companionship tonight. I was a mess. And we laughed and we cried and they hugged my neck and I decided life might be worthwhile to live, I guess. (laughs) But the point was, it was community that gave me a reason to see through that pit. Joseph knew the pit. We began chapter 39 with a great line. Look how the chapter ends. Verse 21 while Joseph was there in the prison, you see, after he moved his way up to Potiphar's household, he gets accused of rape. For doing the right thing, he gets thrown back into a pit. Look what it says in verse 21. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was what? With there it is again. There it is again. Joseph knew full well what the pit looked like because he'd seen the bottom. I know that many of you would much rather meet God on the mountaintop. Believe me, I would too. But you might well meet him the most intimately in the pit, in Egypt, when it's difficult. Maybe you're praying for change to come, and boy, I hope it does. I would love to think that your deliverance would be tomorrow. I'd love to think that good news would come in the mail this week. But it may very well be that God, rather than changing your circumstances, is going to change you by your circumstances. Gerald Sitzer, at the end of his book, talks about it this way. The experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment of our lives. Instead, the defining moment can be our response to the loss. It is not what happens to us that matters as much as what happens in us. It's how we respond to the loss. A man named Tommy discovered this to be true. Tommy was born in 1899 son of a pastor and a church pianist. Tommy showed a real flair for music like many of you young people. By age 12, he was imitating the jazz music that came from the African-American community in the deep south of those days. In his late teens, Tommy made his way to Chicago where he pursued a career of music in the nightclubs. His talent opened the doors to many clubs But his conscience wouldn't let him rest. Despite his professional success, Tommy was empty inside. One of his sisters contacted him and encouraged him to return to the God of his youth. And at the age of 21, at a gospel meeting, he did just that. He asked Christ to be his Savior. Tommy later wrote, My inner being was thrilled. My soul was a deluge of divine rapture. My heart was inspired to become a great singer and worker for the kingdom of God. Tommy began to pour his efforts into his music. To his way of thinking, rhythm and blues were every bit as powerful as worship and faith. The result was a whole new genre of Christian music, black gospel, Tommy became the worship leader at a church up in Chicago. And at the age of 26, he married the love of his life. Over the next years, he created a Christian publishing house and collaborated with some of the greatest musicians of his day. Life was good. And then the bottom fell out. One night after singing in a St. Louis auditorium, he was handed a telegram from Western Union. It simply read, Your wife has just died. Tommy rushed back to Chicago. She had died in childbirth. He rushed back just in time to witness the death of his newborn son. Tommy was heartbroken. What kind of God are you? I gave my life to you. I gave my talents to you. And you would take my wife and child. Tommy grew despondent, fell into bitterness, and resolved to turn his back on God. He isolated himself to nurse his grief and anger. Sometime later, a dear friend who ran a music school invited Tommy to come and spend a few days just recovering and resting. And while out for a walk one evening, he found a room with a piano in it. And he went in and sat down, and all the grief and the pain began to pour out. And as it did... Tommy began to do as musicians often do. He began to write a song. And here's what he wrote that night.
2: Precious Lord Take my hand lead. I am weak I am one but through
1: For the rest of his life, Tommy, Thomas Dorsey, would say that God healed him that night. He went on to write 3,000 more gospel songs and became known as the father of black gospel music. Satan lost a battle that night because Thomas Dorsey decided to reach up to God while he was in his pit and found that his God was already there and took his hand and would lead him home. And you, some of you are in a deep pit, others of you are in a far distant land, and it looks like you're all alone. There is one who is there if you have eyes to see. And if you would reach out your hand to him, he will see you home as well.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.